It is that time of the week again. It's Tuesday. It is 10 a.m. It is time for Cliff Central's very own happy hour. And uh, Brent Lindicue is not with you today. He's gallivanting up a mountain somewhere in the middle of Africa, pretending to be some adventurous explorer. Um, So he's literally on day two of his Kilimanjaro climb right now. I think we should change his name to Brent Bear Grylls Lindicue. Yeah, maybe not the big girl, certainly <laughs> that. So, uh, uh, it's Andrew Ross in the studio with Nikki, who's joining me. Welcome, Nicks. Good morning. How are you? Good. I'm good. Thank you. Nothing much has changed other than uh, the voice, really. We're still uh, able to uh, chat about all the good news stuff. You can still get hold of us at cliffcentral.com, the official WeChat account, or you can give us a shout in the studio on 0861 We're hoping to get hold of Brent at some stage today, but... Uh, those pesky mobile phone companies haven't really got their towers pointing all the way up Kilimanjaro. So I don't know what they're playing at. Yeah, it's shocking. Although, having said that, I think the signal in Kilimanjaro is better than the signal in my office in Brian's. I was going to say. To be absolutely honest. He probably has a more yeah. continuous signal than most people do probably. around Johannesburg currently. So we're sort of on standby. If we do manage to get hold of him, and I've got my phone and I'm monitoring it to see if we can, we have sent him a message, but... Uh, I think he's probably slightly preoccupied with a Sherpa, two climbing rods, 15 kilograms of baggage and, and <laughs> temperatures dropping to, I think when I checked last, minus 20 when he summits on Thursday morning. Yeah, that, um, yeah. I know I'm from England, so I know that I can stand the cold, but even that for me is yeah. too far. <laughs> yeah, don't forget he's doing it for charity as well, because that's just what Brent does really. So he's, uh, He's uh, doing it to support three charities. He raised about uh, $2,000, I think, by the time he left, um, which uh, just literally threw a couple of tweets and things. So he's um, he's having an absolute blast, and we wish him well. And uh, let's, uh, let's hope that he comes back in one piece because uh, it is quite handy to have him around at some stage. I was going to say, we might, need, we might need him back next week. Well, you know, never know. Never know. All right. So um, what I do want to do is I picked up something on the wires yesterday. Actually, I was preparing for the show and I want to just go through it. I know, Nikki, I wasn't in studio, but you and Brent spoke last week uh, about Trevor Noah taking over Daily Show. Yes. Um, obviously, we it hadn't aired here in South Africa when we were chatting about it. They'd just done it in the US. Um, and he kind of didn't get the greatest response from the guys in America so much in terms of they were saying that he wasn't. They thought he was a bit on the bench when it came to the politics side of things and stuff. I mean, the the little bit that we heard here on in the show was he sounded awesome to me. Yeah, I, I was. I mean, I must be honest. I mean, I love it when South Africans do well around the world, and uh, there's a phenomenal amount of South Africans in not just in the entertainment industry and business and things doing phenomenal things around the world anyway. But I was a little bit surprised at how interested South Africa was going to be in the Daily Show because it is bluntly topical, local. American politics. That's that's what its content's always been. Yeah, I did notice a lot of people, well, a lot of my friends had commented on it on Facebook and stuff, and they actually watched it when it aired here. So it definitely got a good response. Have you watched it since? Um, I actually haven't. I'm a bad person, I know. I'm a bad South African, although I do feel I can get away with it because I'm not actually South African. <laughs> <laughs> That's my excuse for everything. I'm English, so I can get away with it. I don't think I've ever heard anybody sit on the fence as, as politely as that. <laughs> so what's interesting is that, I mean, obviously we've now had a, a week for him to settle down, get over his first show nerves, and uh, I suppose, as most people know, that television is built on ratings. And uh, I think what's really good news from uh, Trevor's perspective is that... 
certainly from one week in, he seems to have nailed it. The ratings are very good. Um, his first show was the highest rating ever achieved by Comedy Central in South Africa. Sure. So he beat the um, the previous highest rating, which was uh, Steve Hoffmeyer's Comedy Roast. I think more importantly, because let's be absolutely honest, we're really not the target market here, so we've got some local interest. But overseas in the States specifically, the premiere of the show scored 7.5 million viewers um, across all of the, the Viacom platforms. It was the number one series on Nielsen, Nielsen's ranking social guide. Um, and what's interesting is that take all of the interest of a premiere out of it, he kept it up for the week. So second episode, third episode, fourth episode, he was up double-digit figures day on day. So he's actually genuinely cemented himself, proving his worth, and he's attracting viewers um, uh, up 10 12% from show two to show three as an example. Um, recorded almost 4 million views across all the platforms at the time he'd finished. So yeah, so he's clearly nailed it. Yeah, just just a little bit. But like I say, I have to say I'm not surprised. I know that he did, I mean, the shows that he put on while he was over there to kind of gain a following. Um, he put the work in, so he deserves it. But I don't know if I don't know if if people remember Trevor going over to the States because he was a big thing here. Um, and people forget that, you know, he literally went to the States and started from scratch. He, yeah, he was nobody to them. He had no career. He had no name. And let, let's also not... not uh, Forget that there are some incredibly famous showbiz people that have never, ever, ever cracked the states. Robbie Williams. Yeah, he no, he tried hard as well. Prime example. Robbie Williams is an international superstar in his hometown. Yeah. He <laughs> cannot break into the states. He's tried three times. He's given up now. He's moved back to the UK. Yeah. And becoming part of a dodgy boy band, I think. Yeah, I think they, he is getting back involved with Take That again. Yeah. <laughs> again. Yeah, I was going to say again. I think this is like the fourth time that they've come around yeah. to to relaunch themselves. So, I mean, I suppose, I suppose my, my point really with the whole Trevor Noah thing and why I think it's important looking retrospectively back at it is, is that he literally has genuinely earned this. He started from the bottom in the States with nothing, unknown name, paid his dues, did the small little chat shows, did the, uh, appearances as guest number four on Chelsea lately. I mean, he literally worked his way up from the bottom again and he's got to this level in, in a couple of years. And what's interesting, Next, I don't know if you know this, is just how big this could be for him. No, I, I did hear something along the lines about sponsorships and stuff like that, but I, I haven't delved into it. So yeah, I've, I've actually found an article because I mean, I'm in the commercial sort of sponsorship industry, so it interests me, but, uh, um, I found an, I found an article to give you an idea. If you wanted to book Trevor Noah now, um, so probably when he was here doing his tour before Daily Show, you would probably have got him standard international level comedian. You would probably have got him to come to your company and do a gig for your staff or to appear at your corporate function, your year-end function. We're probably going right 50, 60 grand. Someone of Trevor's caliber at that stage when he was here doing his tour a couple of months ago at Monte Cassino. Yeah. Probably 100,000 rand, I reckon, is what you would have paid. What do you think you'd pay now? It has to be in the millions. Three million rand is what it would cost you for Trevor for an hour. Sure. So no one will be having him emceeing at their wedding or anything like that. Yeah, anytime I think he's soon. pretty much off the charts <laughs> right now. Um, yeah, they reckon, I mean, obviously, uh, his, his South African agents are going, well, we don't know anymore because he's now got American agents. And, um, yeah, they reckon that, uh, they reckon that, uh, this alone is going to help him sort of push about 16 million rand in, uh, back catalog DVD sales. Sure. They reckon that he's already valued just because of his 
um, Daily Show uh, involvement at about $3 million, not rand. Wow. Um, and that uh, he's already turning down stuff. He's already turning down sponsorship deals. And he's already turning yeah. down because he doesn't want to dilute his brand. And I think for what it's worth, well done for having the balls, Trevor, to climb on a plane and go to little New York and start from scratch because in three years – He's done phenomenally well. Yeah. But how does that work? Just to go back to the, in terms of his managers. So obviously he used to be managed by a South African company and now he's managed by a South Africa, by an American, sorry. What, what does that ha- happens to the South African guys? Do they, do they buy Trevor from him or is it just a case of he just changes? No, agents, I mean, the, 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 the acting uh, industry and the, the performing arts industry is pretty much run by, by preference, um, Trevor, the blunt truth is that Trevor would have found an agent that knew how to get him into these places, open these doors, get him onto the late show, get him onto the Chelsea Lately show, get him onto any talk show he could do when he was across there, get in the little, little talent gigs in the, the best standout clubs where the, where the talent scouts go to. So frankly speaking, I doubt very much a South African agents would have been able to do that. His American agents have created this for him with him. I mean, he's good yeah. and he's obviously got the talent, but. That's sort of exactly what these these agents make their money on is uh, is creating opportunities through the people that they know to get people in. All about not what do they say, not what you know, but who you know. That's absolutely it. And and the uh, the inter- I don't think there's any industry that isn't. I was going to say the entertainment industry is especially like that, but I actually don't think it is. I think every industry is exactly the same. So big kudos to to Trevor. Super super stuck. I get really excited. I mean, I've, I I do some bits and pieces of work around the world, and I've been sitting in strange bars in strange countries and you hear the South African accent and it's the only thing you hear. And I get really excited when I see South Africans doing well. And this is a fantastic example of, uh, of Trevor, not just creating the opportunity, but I mean, from, from the research and the stats and the viewership figures of the first week, he's actually pulling it off. He's nailing it. He's silencing his critics. Um, and he's clearly building himself something sustainable. And to put, just to close that off, to give you an idea, um, John Stewart, who he took over from, when he left the Today Show, sorry, the Tonight Show, uh, when he left the show, he was, he, they reckon he's valued now at nearly a billion dollars. Sure. That's insane. So that's, the, I mean, that's the, the amount of equity that these, these talk show house hosts are able to build up for themselves. It's phenomenal. Good on you, Trevor. Well done, mate. We're very proud of you here in South Africa and, uh, we hope we can carry on claiming you as South African. Unlike yeah. some of the sports stars that, that reclaim their citizenship from their second aunt's grandmother's cousin. All these like rugby players that you're yeah. seeing now in the World Cup that are like, mm, yes, I am from Japan. <laughs> yes, you definitely look like you're Japan, from Japan with a surname like Vandermeerve or something like that. Did you nearly say that you definitely think that you're from Jap- Japanese? Yes, I yeah, did. You did. I could see that coming. It's okay. I'm a natural blonde. First time speaking English? <laughs> it's okay. I walked into a door on the way into the <laughs> studio, so I feel like today's not going so well. That's what <laughs> happens when you talk on your phone and try and walk. All right. So let's uh, let's try and fix that next because we're going to move into high five. And uh, what I want to do is we've got some time. Let's go through the top five good news stories for the week. Okay, so at number five, we have the online university offers refugees a chance to study for free. So basically, this is a um, a new university that's open in Berlin. Um, it's an online university, and they have basically put uh, got together with places like um, 
the universities of Harvard, Stanford, Yale, um, and other such big universities from around the world, um, put courses together and they're then putting them online for the refugees to then study from, um, so they can gain themselves qualifications and get an education so they're able to actually support themselves rather than obviously then going on the dole or wherever, which depending on which country they're in. I mean, that's phenomenal. I mean, I don't, I don't think as South Africans, we fully understand the level of this refugee crisis. It's a little bit too far removed for us. It's a bunch of people from a country that we don't really know moving across a border through a country to another country that we don't really know. But I mean, this is, this is massive. I mean, this is probably literally going to change the, the, the demographic nature of most of Europe. It's, it's wild what's going on. I saw an interesting, uh, post on Facebook a while ago, well, about a couple of weeks ago now. Um, and it was actually a picture of a boat that was overflowing with people and the people were falling off and whatever. And they said that this isn't the cap, this isn't, a picture of today this is a picture of 50 years ago when everyone was actually getting on a boat to leave england and europe to come to africa um so it, they're just saying you know it, it happens and you know everyone moved over to here to south africa and they're here now in africa and you know why are we stopping them from coming into europe well i moved here when i was eight i consider myself an immigrant not a refugee there's a slight difference <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> Okay, cool. So that's uh, number five. What's at number four? Okay, number four, we have the hero who charged the Oregon shooters to save others is doing fine after being shot himself seven times. What? I don't know the story. Sorry. Give me um, more. So there was a shooting in a college. Um, they came in and they were shooting around. And basically this guy ran at them um, to prevent them from shooting other people and then obviously got shot himself. Uh, he got shot seven times in the back abdomen and hands uh, and also managed to break two of his legs. So he's basically Batman. Yes, he is. I am Batman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Batman, Superman, all rolled into one. Um, How no, old is he? He, um, he was in his thirties. I, I don't want to miss. Uh, yeah, he was in his thirties. Um, he's actually he was in the military for ten years. Um, and he kept, got out of the military and decided he was going to go back to college and start studying. Um, yeah. And so one day while he was there, this uh, the shooting happened and. It was actually his son's birthday on the same day. So they were saying that while he was running towards them, kind of he's screaming out saying, it's my son's birthday. Yeah. So it was a bit of a hero. I don't get Americans. <laughs> I don't get how after so many tragedies from Columbine right the way through, um, they're still not prepared to investigate this whole right to bear arms thing. Um there's something on Facebook about uh, the fact that we get strip searched at airports because somebody once tried unsuccessfully to smuggle in some explosives on a plane through the heel of their shoes, didn't succeed, yet 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 different high school massacres in Columbine, etc. And everyone in the States turns a blind eye and goes, well, we've got a right to bear arms. Yeah, I, I also don't see where that comes from. And I, lo- I love the I love the guns don't kill people. People kill people. Yeah. <laughs> well, the guns fucking help. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> they couldn't do it if they didn't have the gun to start <laughs> off with. Um, yeah. Do you think they need to put slightly stronger stronger rules in place there? But um, but yeah, this guy anyway. He's surviving, and he the picture of him um, on the uh, article that I was reading is of him laying in a hospital bed with a massive smile on his face. So I'd also have a smile on my face if I'd just been shot seven times and still managed to nail the guy that did it. And two broken legs. And they're saying here they don't they still have no idea how he managed to break his legs. Yeah. Um but yeah, that's uh, pretty impressive. What um, what happened to the gunman? 
Uh, it doesn't actually say on the alt- on the article. Okay. It's just all about him, to be honest. All right. So what's the lesson we learn here? Don't go to school in America. Basically. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty much. I've started school in America. Um, in fact, I think Yeovil's probably safer than America, so that's cool. <laughs> we'll send the kids there. We'll be great. Cool. Okay. At number three. Number three. We have China is uh, is to set up a one billion dollar peace fund to cancel the debt of poor countries. So basically, the president of China, whose name I am not going to try and pronounce, um, uh, he was at the UN headquarters Xi in New Jinping. York. Um, yeah, something along those lines. <laughs> um, he was at the UN headquarters in New York, and uh, basically, they've. Um, they're providing a hundred million dollars in aid for the Africa Union in the next five years to boost peace. Um, and they're basically putting a, like a, a fund in place to be able to help other countries from around the world that have got debt and they've obviously got uh, poverty problems and they're trying to kind of world peace. Yeah, world peace with human rights atrocities. I've got a slight problem with the, uh, the conditions that the, the money comes from, to be honest with you. I mean, China's not the, uh, the best country in the world in terms of its human rights. So uh, I suppose it's great, but I can't help but think it's slightly hypocritical that they're... They're not helping their own human rights first before they're moving on to somewhere else. But I suppose at least they're trying and they're doing something good for the rest of the world. Do you know that if the president of China was Causa or 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 San, you'll pronounce his name... <laughs> and again, I'm also not going to try and pronounce that one. No, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Um, all right, cool. So, um, China seems to be having a moral crisis and is trying to help other countries out. Um, it's the 70th anniversary or something, isn't it? Yeah, here we are. Commemorate the 70th anniversary of the founding of the UN. That was why they, they decided to do it. Um, is it all for Africa, or is it any any developing nations? Does it say? Um, it says that the fir- that the a hundred million dollars um, is to aid the African Union. Okay, um, and then as on from there, then they'll look at the rest around the world. A billion rand for Africa is not bad going. Let's be honest. But yeah. uh, I think the one thing that's really interesting, if anybody has ever travelled up into Africa, um, the the reach and spread of um, and the the level at which China has very successfully penetrated. Uh, into Africa's phenomenal. I was up in Kenya and Nairobi about three months ago at the airport. And I can honestly say that I think conservatively 50% of everybody, I was waiting for the plane, and I think 50% of every single person I saw walking around the concourse was of Asian descent. They're taking over the world. <laughs> they are taking I'm over the sure world. I'm not sure you can say that. No, but in, in a good way. Like they, yeah. they are taking over the world. I was in, uh, I was in Bangladesh about Two years ago for the uh, World 2020 Cricket and uh, uh, all of the new freeway and infrastructures and flyovers uh, in Bangladesh are being built by Chinese construction companies. Every yeah. single one of them. All the roads. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. surprise me. I have to say, they're, they're everywhere. So good. Good news to see China um, helping to share the love off some of the uh, uh, money it makes from communism. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if there's a billion dollars in it for a billion rand in it for the uh, African Union, we'll take it. We'll yeah, take it definitely. with both hands. We, uh, we need all the help we can get, especially with the upkeep costs on in Kandla. I mean, yeah, that, yes. uh, that, <laughs> and the fire pit. Yeah. That paint job's getting really expensive. <laughs> all right. What's up at number two? Okay. At number two, we have the Limpopo man that goes to extremes for rhino awareness. So this is really cool. So basically, um, the, the Anton Fouché, which I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly. No, Fouché, but you're close. 
I tried. <laughs> um, basically, he's pulling a 120-kilogram fiberglass rhino behind him while he's walking 1,500 kilometers um, from, again, I'm going to pronounce this correct, incorrectly, Modimole. Mo- yep, to Cape Town. Um, he averages about 25 kilometers a day, uh, 40 kilometers on a good day, and hopefully expects to reach the VNA waterfront by the 31st of October. Why? Um, he's just trying to get people to see... Like, I don't know, I guess he's wanting people to see the rhino and put it to get it in people's faces. You know, he's people have tried everything, you know, here, pay so much towards the rhinos. We've got campaigns going right, left and center. And he's trying to do something that's a bit out of the box to get people to listen. Um, on his rhino, there are 1,215 red dots, one for each of the animals killed in South Africa last year. So he's also trying to get that awareness that it's, I mean, it covers the whole rhino. If you see a picture of the rhino, the whole rhino is literally covered in red dots. Mm. Um, so it's, I think it's trying to just make people aware about the rhino poaching. Look, I mean, I get it. And I think anything that anybody can do. So, so here's the first thing. He, he's not a slacktivist. He's genuinely doing something about, um, the cause and he's got conviction and he's committed to do something. That's great. I'm just so worried about these things that they, that they just blur into wallpaper. Um, and I don't want to say we've stopped caring, but it just becomes another part of the rhino message. I mean, I think I said this last time I was on air, but what's interesting is a couple of the, the very big corporates that got involved in the rhino issue very, very early on in the, uh, in the, the, the life cycle of, of saving the rhino as a social cause are actually pulling out because they're not helping anything. They're putting money in and it's not about awareness or publicity. They don't want the publicity, but they're just not able to make any inroads with this problem. Um, yeah. and until such time as, as, as somebody helps either legislatively, um, or politically, um, to try and, you know, help educate people around the awareness um i'm not sure that that anything is going to help and it's tragic and anything that anybody does anton fushio take my hand off to you head off to you dude um if there were a hundred more anton fushios i'd be happy but i still think more needs to be done and i don't know what it is but i think it's i think it's tragic that our rhino communities are disappearing at the at the rate at which they are. I think it's cool as well that other countries are getting on board with the whole um, poaching and not just for rhinos in terms of their banning. Airlines have banned. Um, you've been able to, they call it trophies, right? Yeah. You'd be able to transport trophies on their flights. Um, I know America, you can't, under no circumstances, you can't display ivory, whether you've been given it as a gift, bought it or whatever. Um and I know that they're sending the military over now. So um, we had our very own Prince Harry here not so long ago that was helping give military advice to help poach the poachers, so to speak. So I think that's also cool. You know, people at least people are trying, like you say. I mean, yeah. I'm not sure how we need to do more because it's still not really working. But at least people are getting involved, I guess, and trying. Yeah, um, as I said, I, I don't want to be – I don't want to sound um, – <laughs> Like I'm cynical. I mean, anything, anything is better than nothing. Let's be honest. And so good luck to him. I hope he does well. I hope he raises awareness. Most importantly, I hope that one rhino is saved because of his actions. Yeah. Then it was worthwhile. Exactly. Okay. So at number one, we have the 12 year old boy that's to climb Kilimanjaro for his community. Uh, Brent is not 12. (laughs) When he has his makeup on, you know, (laughs) he can be past us. Um, no, this is, um, a schoolboy. um, that is planning to summit Mount Kilimanjaro um, on his 13th birthday on the 4th of October. So, oh, that was actually he should have summited two days ago. Um, 
So I'm obviously a bit behind with this story then. Um, he is doing it to raise money for the less fortunate children and families who live um, in and around near where he stays um, in Fairland. Um, and he wants to help people who are being, um, who have not got the means to live a life that they, that they, that he has. Um, so yeah, I think it's really cool that someone so young is jumping on board and getting involved and wanting to help his community. Look, I think, I think Killy's a really interesting thing. I mean, I was at a talk with Brent on Wednesday. He left on the Saturday, uh, at the junior town council. Uh, so all the, the mayors and the mayoresses and then the prospects for next year had a big function. And I mean, I don't know what the chances are, but we sat down at the table and Brent was talking to the kids about uh, random acts of kindness and change one thing and all, all of those sort of things around uh, what he is and what he's done um, from sort of an inspirational perspective. And we sat down and we'd literally been sort of chatting to our host for about five minutes. And this young kid was about 17, came over and tapped Brent on the shoulder and said, you're Brent Lindeque. And he said, yes. He said, I'm seeing you on Saturday at the airport. I'm climbing Kilimanjaro with you. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and he was seven, same, same sort of story as this. He was 17. Uh, he was doing it for a school and he was doing it basically to raise funds and awareness around some programs that were going on at his school. So I think it's a once in a lifetime opportunity because I think if you've done it once, you'd never do it again. It makes no sense to me to climb 5,500 meters and summit <laughs> in a blizzard at minus 26, but I'm funny that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's really good. And I think, I think what's important for me as well, whether it's a 12 year old kid or a 17 year old kid is it's really cool to see people pushing themselves and pushing their limits and pushing themselves out of their comfort zones. And that's when you find out more about who you really are. Yeah. Well, the cool thing about this, uh, this kid here is that he's, there's six people in his party that are going and that they're, they're paying for it themselves. So there's no sponsorship or anything for the whole thing. Um, his 71 year old gra- grandfather is actually climbing it with him as well. Um, and then all the money that they have raised goes to the community organization, um, to get food parcels, clothes, stationary medicines. So I think that's really cool. I was having a look at this. There's, there was a, a campaign a couple of months ago called Trek for Mandela, Leanne Manis proverb. Uh, Moji from Kai FM, they all climbed as well. So it's clearly something that even Duncan can do if he tried. Duncan's going to be doing Kilimanjaro next. I can see it. I was going to say his face looks slightly worried. I'm not going to say that he would agree <laughs> with you there. <laughs> we'll all get you signed up, Duncan. We'll get you training. All right. So that's the high five for this week. Thanks, Next, We've got um, to pay the bills very quickly. And uh, we're going to come back and have a look at the weekly great. I am the future of South Africa. On my shoulders, I carry the hopes and dreams of generations to come. I'm eager to learn, but even more eager to use my knowledge for good. I know that it's not where I come from, but where I'm going to that really matters. At Sibanya Gold, we believe our youth is worth its weight in gold, which is why we are so committed to developing, nurturing, and grooming our young people into future leaders. Sibanya Gold, we are one. This is CliffCentral.com. Back to uh, Cliff Central's very own happy hour with me, Andrew Ross, and Nick standing in for Brent Lindeque. Um, don't forget, you can get hold of us through all of the usual channels on Twitter, CliffCentral.com, Facebook page, Cliff Central, through WeChat, or on 0861 Um Yeah, so uh, moving on to our weekly greats. And what I wanted to do very quickly before we go on to something very cool I saw happening in Bramfontein. Is I just wanted to touch base, um, and I know that Nick, I know that you've discussed this before, but I'm I really like this because it's one of the first times that a brand has formally used the random act of kindness concept um, 
to build a campaign around it. So not just, oh, look, we've done something, stick it on YouTube, but actually build a campaign around the principle of paying it forward. Yeah, it's ongoing. It's not just like you say, it's not just someone going and doing something once off and then kind of forgetting about it because they've done their bit in yeah. inverted commas. So it was, it was Lucky Brand and the, they're inside some of the Edgar stores, the flagship Edgar stores. And I mean, I know you've spoken about it, so I'm not going to punt it anymore. But the principle was that if you went into one of these stores and you bought a pair of um, Rack 15 jeans, you got given another pair for free. You had to head out into the stratosphere and do a random act of kindness and give that pair you'd been given for free to somebody, photograph yourself uh, doing it, get it up onto social media. And the lucky brand guys are right behind this giving away great prizes every week. And obviously there's a grand prize of uh, a 10,000 rand lucky brand summer wardrobe. So very cool. And um, I only know this because I was sort of prepping for the show, but uh, there were two winners announced this week again, which is Spiced Weasel and Mandy uh, Sekomalu. So I think it's really cool. And uh, I've been sort of having a look at some of the social media reach around it as well. And here's the one thing that I can tell you from a good news perspective is the good news sells. Yeah, it really does. People also want to get on board because, I mean, not only do they get a free pair of jeans, I mean, I know they have to give it away, but it's it's kind of, it's easy for them to then do something nice. Do you know, it's kind of giving them the platter to go and yeah. hand it out. And I, I'm, I, yeah, well done. Well done to, to the Edgar's guys and Edcon and Lucky Brands for getting involved in it and figuring out there's an angle that really can work and does work. And as I said, based on the social media reach that I've seen, there's uh, certainly great traction around it. So... Good to see. Well done. Woohoo. Rack 15. Yeah, I was going to say, people can definitely take a, take a lesson from them and learn a lot. And it, like you say, it's cool that they made a whole campaign out of it. It's good yeah. advertising for themselves as well. Then I also had a look at uh, some stuff just for the weekly great on um, the goodthingsguide.com website. And this is really interesting because I, I think we also need to be clear that there's good stuff going on that doesn't need to be charity-based and help the homeless-based and whatever. And I think it was it's really important to understand that good comes in many ways, shapes, and forms. Of course. And good has come in the shape of Wi-Fi. What? <laughs> How difficult would it be to live your life without data? Think about it. So when I got my first mobile phone, and I'm really going to show my age, I'm 21. <laughs> when I got my first mobile phone, it literally, literally made phone calls. Well, I can remember my first cell phone was actually my mum's old one. And I think when I got mine, you, we could just start texting. Yeah. But you're only allowed like 100 characters per text. And then it was like 10, well, obviously in England, it was 10 pence a text. So then I think this is where obviously all the... 10 know, pence for those of you in South Africa is about 100 rand right now. <laughs> Currently, yes. Yeah. But like where you had to, you know, where you put you, the letter U instead of you because yeah. obviously you're trying to cram so much into and then everybody... No, used. it's just because the British education system is so bad you can't spell. <laughs> this but, is also true. <laughs> that's why I went to school here. In a bilingual primary school where I couldn't understand a word. I couldn't understand every second word or every second assembly. It was amazing. Um, anyway, yeah, so I think, I think, you know, data and, uh, ironically, I think that we've only really as a country started to progress globally in a lot of areas, including data and information and, and communication since, uh, the, the, the shackles of internet bandwidth are slowly and very slowly being released from us. And I think it's, it's really interesting to see that I know that Pretoria ran a pilot project of this, um, if I'm not mistaken, run by Alan Not Craig Jr. 
where they started putting Wi-Fi into free public spaces, and Joburg's followed suit. So the city of Joburg Smart City Project literally kicked off on Wednesday, and they have basically put up Bramfontein, what they call, and I don't know who came up with this name. It's got to be an advertising agency. The Bramfontein Wireless Mesh. <laughs> but what it's doing, what it's doing is it's offering free Wi-Fi access to anybody within range in and around Bramfontein, and they're getting 300 megs a day per data of data per device. That's crazy. Because, yeah. like, you know, you get this always on thing everywhere. Every shopping center you go into has got always on, which irritates the absolute crap out of me. Because it never works. And then you apps on your phone start updating and then it doesn't finish updating. So that's really cool that someone's actually, it's very European. Yeah, I think, I think it's, I think it's really empowering people. So, you know, it, it allows, uh, in the old days, <laughs> I'm 21, everybody. In, <laughs> you know, in the old days, getting your CV, if you were unemployed, getting your CV to a company meant printing it out at a postnet and faxing it at a postnet at five rand a page. Um, if you don't have data and if you don't have access to, to reasonable data at reasonable speeds, um, you know, how do you get your CV out to people? How do you communicate with your, with your colleagues, with your friends? So I think it's, I think it's absolutely all empowering and I think it's a phenomenal, phenomenal concept. It's also helping people to search for jobs because, you know, yep. that's the first step is you need to be able to find a way to search a job. And where does everybody advertise now? On the internet. Yep. So if you haven't got access to the internet, how are you supposed to find the job to start off with? Gone are the days where people put a little sign in the window saying recruiting. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I think that's really cool. They reckon they're going to roll out a thousand Wi-Fi hotspots uh, before the uh, before the end of the year alone, um, and they reckon that over fifty percent of libraries and clinics across all seven regions of Johannesburg are now consuming free Wi-Fi provided by the city. Like it's cool. Like I say, it's very European. Um, I think South Africa is definitely coming up to date with all the Wi-Fi. I mean, I know all the fibers being laid now, so soon the speed of the internet in your homes and stuff is going to go crazy. Um, so I think it's really cool that everybody's yeah. getting connected. Yep. All good. So well done, City of Joburg. My rents and taxes are being used for good for once. For, yeah, for, for once. once. <laughs> and hell, I'll give it, I'll give it willingly if, if there's more of that to be done. Really well done, guys. Cool. Let's move that to Cape Town as well because uh, I picked this up as well. Um, about a guy who's dubbed himself Superman, but not, not Superman. He doesn't wear his underpants on the outside then. I have no knowledge of that, and I don't really want to get into those conversations. It's a family show. Um, but um, no, he's a Superman with a U. So soup, as in in the soup, soup, a man. Um, and he's an entrepreneur called Wendell Peterson, who's uh, doing his part to make a difference. He supports his family through um, a food truck, which caters for events. But what he does is that he then takes his food truck once a week, oh, sorry, once a month, and he takes it off the market. He takes it away from the events where he's earning an income and he funds it himself and he takes his food truck into communities. Um, and he looks at, at communities specifically where there's gang violence, where there's poverty, where there's, uh, family headed, uh, children headed family units. Um, and he feeds anywhere up to 300 kids as an example that are just staying in the felt basically homeless. They've walked away from abusive situations. They've walked away from drug scenarios. Um, and these are young kids. These are like 10 to 12 year old kids. We're not talking gangsters here. Um, and it's brilliant. No, I think that's really cool. And it's, 
you know, like catering companies, I've, I have heard of a couple of catering companies doing not the same thing, but something, something similar in terms of, you know, after they've had a big function and they've got lots of food left over is going and then donating it or going somewhere to like a soup kitchen type thing and handing it out to people that obviously can't afford to buy the food themselves. So I think it's really cool that they're, he's got the means. So he's utilizing it to not just to make money for himself, but to help people. So on that point, um, cause he's quoted as saying, he's quoted as saying, um, very specifically that one plate of food can change a life. It can change a lot of people's lives. If we can find one body on a street and serve a plate of food, it'll make big changes in South Africa, not just in South Africa, but in the whole world. So if you take that, that point that, uh, that was made about one plate of food can change a life. I, um, remember reading an article that came out just after the CEO sleep out. Uh, if you recall that, yes. that they did in the street yes. corners and uh, it went on to become, I think they raised about 23 million rand for Boys and Girls Town. It was actually uh, on paper, I think it's the single largest charity event in one go. Yeah, everyone was and, slating it saying, yeah. oh, well, they did it for one night, but they actually raised the most amount of money. What's, what's really interesting about that, and I'm actually just checking because I'm almost certain that he didn't want to be named, um, but there is a CEO... Give me one second here. I just want to check if I've got my facts straight. Um, because, yeah, so according to Parks Tower, in Johannesburg alone, there's about 6,000 people sleeping on the street corners um, every night. And do you know that one of our own South African CEOs, who was at the CEO sleepout representing his major multinational and paid 100,000 rand for the contribution and the company themselves raised another million-odd rand as part of the fundraising effort to participate, was homeless himself. Sure, that's hectic. Yeah, he um, and he's specifically asked not to be named because he doesn't want to become known as the homeless CEO. Um, but he's currently active as a CEO on the board of one of the JSC-listed companies, and he started out his, his, through a set of circumstances that he had no control over. He was homeless. Yeah, but that's the thing that people don't seem to understand. A lot of people think that people are homeless because of not necessarily choice, but something that they've done. Whereas, you know, a lot of the times when people are homeless, it's actually something that they could have done nothing about. Yeah. No, it was, it was very, 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 very cool to see. And, um, and, uh, again, I, I don't want to, um, to, to, to marginalize anybody in this. And I think, uh, I think, uh, people end up on the streets for whatever reason they may be. So good luck. Thank you, Wendell Peterson. You're a rock star down in Cape Town. You're uh, still feeding kids. He even like mixes it in with, with, with break dancing and all sorts of things. So I was going to say, like I see that vibe. he says that they play music and stuff and then they have like a little bit of a party yeah. on the, yeah. on the go as well. So that's really cool. And, um, I'm not sure how to take this because one of the, one of the other articles on, uh, goodthingsguy.com, um, which Brent posted before he disappeared merrily to climb a mountain is, and I don't know if this is good news or not. So Sweden is moving to a six hour, work day i read this as well and when what? i was doing my i know when i was doing my list for my good fi- my top five stories um i also looked at that and then i thought mm, i'm not sure if that is good news or not like yes okay so i guess six hours a day for some people will be like woohoo six hours a day awesome i get paid the same amount of money i'm guessing and then i only have to work six hours a day yeah there was no there was no salary adjustments it was basically a policy decision they moved from a, a 35 to 40 hour work week to a 25 hour work week Sorry, 30-hour, 30 30-hour 30 work week. Like I say, I can see some people thinking that's the best news that they've ever heard. 
but I think other people that have slightly more demanding jobs would probably disagree. Like now I have to do what I was doing in 40 plus hours and now 30 hours. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's... So I always thought that France was one of the most unproductive uh, unproductive nations in Europe, but I think Sweden is fast overtaking them. Having said that, though, and I'll say this, the um, um, the uh, the Swedish employment system is, is very well run, obviously, and uh, certainly does protect their employees. So there's lots of national um, benefits and medical, et cetera. It's all there. So, you know, maybe there's something to be said. I think Sweden was one of the rated one of the best countries to work at in the world. It's just full of Swedish people and it's cold. <laughs> does it does it say what industry that company is for that cut the hours down or does it not state the industry? No. Nope. I just wondered if it was something, you know, like, I don't know. Obviously, it's not going to be something like telesales or something like that because they're 24 hours, but I just wondered. Yeah, I, d- I doubt it very much. All the telesales are in India anyway, let's be honest. Yeah, that's true. Actually... I'm sure I watched something the other day where they were saying that they phoned a telesales. It was a South African thing and they phoned the tele, they, they phoned a call center and it was here in South Africa. And so apparently South Africa is the new place to have call centers, apparently. So yay for us when we're calling call centers, we're calling locally at least. Well, hey, you know, it cuts down the low. It's a local call. So that's the only benefit I can think yeah. of. I can remember in the UK when we used to have the, the Indians calling. And they used to try and fool you and say that their name was like Dave or something when they phoned you. <laughs> like, I don't think that's true. No, absolutely not. All right. So uh, that sort of wraps up our uh, weekly great, to be honest with you. Some cool stories there, some good stuff. Um, good to see corporates getting involved and good to see people just getting out there and doing good things. And that's actually what it's all about. If you can make a difference in one person's life, if you can change one thing, you really can change everything. So uh, really cool stories there. Um, time to be inspired. I was going to say, I have to say, people probably, they're waiting for this moment. They're waiting for us to talk about this topic. I I pulled rank on this one, I'm afraid. I insisted on doing this topic because, frankly, I'm a boy and I can. Yeah, you see, from my side, it's not that exciting, but I'll let you go with it. (laughs) My weekly inspiration has to be the Springboks. Drum roll. It has to be the Springboks. Really, have I seen a team turn around from clutching a defeat out of the jaws of victory to <laughs> actually, actually really proving what they're capable of? No, they played an awesome game this Saturday and last Saturday. Um, I did watch both games. Um, they, they really do deserve to be in. They were an awesome team. Um, um, and I think they're, they're definitely going to be, um, in the running for favorites, which is cool. Yeah, I think, I think rugby's, I think rugby's a very, very, very close subject to a lot of South Africans' hearts. White, black, irrespective, doesn't make a difference. And I really think that after the the shocking, there's no other way to describe it, the shocking performance against Japan where they literally may just have stayed on the bus, um, I don't think many other nations would have reacted the way that we did because rugby has played such an integral part in the way that South Africa has grown up over yeah, the years. Um, and the fact that we won the World Cup in 2007 and 1995 helps. But, <laughs> but I mean, it really was a really critical part of our history. And, I mean, I was um, actually down in Durban when the match was on and I was working, so I was following it on Twitter. And and I really don't think that I've ever seen a nation as passionate about the loss. Yep, there was disappointment, but it, there was anger, there was disappointment, there was frustration, there was uh, humility, there was support, not much, but there was a bit of support as well. Um, and I think the fact that they were able to um, to then come back the way that they did um, 
and really pull out the stops and perform not just well, but perform convincingly well on a continual basis, I think says a lot. So I think, I actually think we're in a good place. I think like with any world cup, you've got to win four matches in a row and you can win. So yeah. I think we have every opportunity, every chance. I would like not to jinx it. And I don't think that USA are going to be a problem tomorrow, but having said that, Nobody all, thought Japan was going to be. The all, the, yeah, having said that, the All Blacks did beat Japan 106-0. So um, anything's possible. But uh, I do think that the uh, USA... Henrik Mayer is actually the, um, the the coach has actually um, used as a as a parallel of their atrocious performance um, the four-minute mile, um, the sub-four-minute mile, and the fact that that was just an impossible task. No one could ever do it. And then somebody did eventually break the four-minute mile. Um, Roger Bannister clocked it in three minutes fifty nine seconds in nineteen fifty four, and suddenly the barrier was gone. And Henneke Mayer is actually—I'm sure he didn't write it himself because I've seen pictures of him trying to count on his fingers. <laughs> but a very clever PR person wrote this for Henneke Mayer and actually said, "This is the point." So, just because it seemed impossible, it can be done. It will be done. It should be done. And, and I believe that we have as good a chance as any other team to carry on through to this, the semi-finals and possibly win the World Cup. And I, for one, tomorrow will be watching. No, I think, I think in all in honesty, yeah, in, in all honesty, I think South Africa had to lose against Japan. I think it, they, they needed that grounding and that actual kind of realization that it isn't easy and that they do have to actually yeah. go back into working hard. So I think as much as everyone's saying, oh, it was such a terrible game, actually, I think they needed it and it actually made them the players that they needed to be for the next two games to win. You know, the point is that if you're going to have one shocking game in a in a World Cup cycle, and the point is that you pretty much only got the luxury of having one, of one loss, um, to be honest with you. Um, and if you're going to have a shocking game, you might as well have it up front. Yeah, exactly. Know where you stand to start off with. <laughs> so that's sort of my consolation, about that, I think, more than anything else. Um, all right, cool. So um, that's my inspiration for the week. Go, Boca, you good thing. And uh, I would encourage everybody on social media to get behind the box tomorrow. Let's not take it as a done deal. Let's not take it as a given. We need the win against the USA. We need the bonus point. We need to make sure that we win convincingly, so uh, I'm sure that every single character of social media encouragement will be appreciated and supported, and I, for one, will be uh, doing my bit to make sure that uh, that we get the good news out there about the Springboks, uh, not just winning, but winning their pool convincingly. I will be supporting them, as we all know. I, we might as well glaze over this quickly. England are out. Um, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised it wasn't mentioned sooner. Um, yes, England are out. So I will There's be a lovely team bus for sale. Supporting it's only been, only been the used green three and times. Gold. It's okay. I keep getting sent that, um, what's that, that uh, joke? What's the difference between a tea bag and the England team? A tea bag stays in the cup longer. Ha, ha, ha. Yes, I, I am devastated, but it's cool. I am supporting green and gold from now on. I expect nothing less. You've got no choice. Your, your home team is out. Well, to be fair, I could go with like Scotland or Wales or Ireland because I do feel they're a little bit closer to home for me. Yes, because they're going to win it. You never know. Whatever. You never know. Fair weather follower. For you. <laughs> All right, cool. So uh, we're going to uh, quickly move on to our Change One Thing segment to wrap up the show with today. Um, gosh, 55 minutes already. So um, we always do this at the end of the show. We just have a look at something very cool. And I actually wanted to revisit a story that I found about a month ago. And there's a reason for that. So there's a reason I'm putting context back to this. So uh, I change one thing, random act of kindness sort of profile for the day uh, comes out of the, comes out of the middle, not middle, comes out of Abu Dhabi, actually Dubai into Abu Dhabi. And uh, 
there was an Irishman called Liam Murphy who was working on contract in Dubai. And uh, he decided to catch a cab and uh, uh, go to Ferrari World, which is a, a theme park um, out in Abu Dhabi. Uh, it's expensive. It's about uh, it's probably close on a thousand rand to get in. So it's not it's not like going to Goldrie City for the day. What is what is Ferrari? Ferrari World, World is a massive themed um, uh, theme park with roller coasters and rides and museums and memorabilia and literally everything Ferrari. Oh, cool. Um, and anyway, so what he basically did is that he uh, he'd uh, uh, caught sort of his cab driver, driven out to Abu Dhabi, and um, he asked his. Uh, the, the taxi driver when he dropped him off um, how long have you been doing this trip and he said 14 years and he said have you ever been inside and he said no and he immediately made the decision and uh, made his cab driver he didn't know by the way this wasn't like a contract contract worker that he sort of caught the cab with every day he literally flagged him down on the side of the road and he said come in with me and he basically paid for everything for this cab driver sure. to ride the rides eat the snacks and he basically had a companion for the day in the form of this random taxi driver that he'd caught. So that in itself is a great story. But what I thought was really interesting to just wrap up with is how we take something like that on our day-to-day life. And I keep going on about changing one thing, changing everything. It doesn't need to be about homeless people and feeding orphans. How many times a week, a month, do you catch Uber? And what do you do? What do you do with the Uber driver? You interact with them at the bare minimum. You're on your phone. You're talking to your friends. That guy's doing his job very much as this guy uh, in Dubai was just doing his job, picking up a random ride and taking him to Abu Dhabi. So here's my challenge to you all. The next time that you hail an Uber driver, the next time you catch a cab, the next time you use some form of public transport, the how train bus, I don't care what it is. Well, there's the public transport in Santon at the minute. So if you work in yep. Santon, everybody will be getting public transport. Especially there. now with, uh, with Eco-Mobility Month. Do something random for those people that are working to move you around. I don't care what it is. It can be giving them a sandwich. It can be dropping them 10 bucks. It can be doing nothing more than telling them they look amazing and they have wonderful teeth. But, <laughs> but, but I really wanted to use this concept of Leah Murphy, especially with Eco-Mobility Month and the fact that we're all using public transport more to say, let's not ignore these touch points of people that are working hard to make our lives easier. Change one thing, change everything. That's pretty much where I want to end it today. Cool. Thank you so much for today. Cool. So that was the, that was the Cliff Central's very own happy hour. Uh, from me, Andrew and Nick, thank you for joining us. I'm going to leave you with a final thought and that's, thanks Duncan for meeting me. Leave you the final thought and that's never tell me the sky's the limit when there are footprints on the moon. Brent's back next week. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. This is cliffcentral.com.